podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show in association with Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us on Wednesday show. Midweek mayhem. So much going on in the NFL right now. So who else but I and Mike Carlson dropping by to get us all up to speed. We'll talk Jalen Ramsey. We'll talk the Saints and the Steelers and the Roethlisberger and Drew Brees situations there. What do both teams do next? The Miami Dolphins fish tanking, dealing Minka Fitzpatrick, one of their superstars, to Pittsburgh. So much more to talk about as well. We'll get into that with Iron Mike, a bumper mailbag, and Iron Mike's top five picks as well. Looking forward to catching up with him very shortly. Just time for me to tell you to follow us on social media if you want to keep up with all the stuff that's flying around in the league all week long, seven days a week, 365. Shout out to Alex and Tom and the crew there. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at the NC Show is how uh, you keep up with us on those platforms also. If you haven't already, drop us a subscribe, whether you're listening to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Podbean, on Spotify, wherever you're listening to us, subscribe to the show, four episodes a week, and you won't miss a trick. Great to have you along for the ride. What, we're already heading into week three of the season, and already there is so much to be getting into. Cannot wait to chat to Iron Mike, so let's get on with it. Mike, so much to, to get into with you. We've got a mailbag as well, a bumper mailbag from uh, our loyal listeners at the NC Show if you want to fire questions in. And incidentally, do that all week long and uh, we will save most of them uh, for our Wednesday show with the big man uh, and try and rattle through as many as we can. You've got a top five as well. I'm Mike's top five. Absolutely. The top five craziest reasons for guys going on injured reserve. I like it. I like it. Uh, all right. We'll save that. So we'll save the best till last and save that till the end. Uh, I want to start with the, the big story breaking though over the last 24 hours, Eli Manning, the Giants finally benching their two-time Super Bowl winner, moving on uh, to Daniel Jones, who, of course, uh, the selection of raised uh, more than a few eyebrows when the Giants picked him high up in the draft earlier this year. Uh, are you surprised, Mike, the Giants have made the switch so soon into the season? Um, in a way, yes. But when you think about it, no, because Eli's performance has been un- underwhelming. Um, we discussed this before the season started. And, and I think they did the right thing by starting Eli because you don't want a quarterback controversy when you bench your long-term starter in favor of a rookie. The best way to do it is to let the starter play. And if he plays well, you win. And if he doesn't play well, you can put your rookie in and you shouldn't be criticized for it. Now, in mitigation of all this, and I know that when you watch Eli play, you just think, well, his arm just isn't what it was. He really, he really doesn't have it now. But that team is so bad on so many levels. You know, he had no receivers to throw to. His offensive line is still a mess after they've spent a huge amount of money on it. The defense is not the kind of defense it's supposed to be. Um, really, Saquon Barkley is their only weapon of, of any consequence. Sure. So it, in a sense, it's a little unfair to blame Eli. But at, at the same time, why not put your starter in, apart from the idea that he might get killed just the way Eli was because well, he's, he's not, not as – 
as experienced as, you know, standing in against the rush, getting rid of the ball or taking a pounding, which Eli has done over the past few years. You know, we've heard so much, Mike, uh, I guess a revisionist or a reversion back to the idea of taking a young quarterback, letting them sit and watch, you know, the way Aaron Rodgers did under Favre and, and many more before him. Uh, and the NFL seemed to have moved away from that and thrusting young draft picks, high draft picks in uh, to the arena far too soon. And that seems to have balanced out in recent times. And the perceived wisdom here was that the Giants aren't going to be very good this season. Eli will do a serviceable job for a team that's probably going to finish 6-10. and 10. Let Daniel Jones sit half to third of the season, learning, watching, being guided, and then come in for the, for the tail end when he's just got a bit more uh, awareness and knowledge of how it all works. Like what can they, it's surely that there's more to lose here by bringing him. They're not going to be a playoff team this season. As you say, they could have the stuffing knocked out of him. His confidence completely shot. Exactly. That's, that's the real risk. And, you know, we've seen it before with quarterbacks who go into bad situations and, and, and suffer setbacks. Uh, Deshaun Watson jumps to mind, um, in, in recent years, but, uh, Daniel Carr, um, David Carr, um, mm. at Houston as well, um, would be another good example. I think part of it is that the coaches have to have an idea, a better idea of what their team can and can't not do before they put this kid in and so what you're asking him to do you know now is to raise his game up above the level of the team and Jones I think is a guy who the question wasn't wasn't whether he was worth a first round draft pick the question was always whether it was worth the number six pick um, from from the Giants you know and whether he would have still been there at 17 had the Giants not taken him you know would Washington have taken him instead of Dwayne Haskins I rather doubt it Um, how did the Giants rationalize that Mike because he wasn't you you have all these draft nicks that have their mock drafts and rank the quarterbacks and there's often disagreement with a few Dave, of them. Dave but. Gettleman said two things, one of which is is a bit hard to argue with. One is when you decide this is the guy you want, you have to take him. It's not worth running the risk of losing him to some unexpected, you know, someone trades up uh, that you weren't anticipating to grab him, whatever. The second thing Gettleman said was he he fell in love with Jones during the Senior Bowl. And I watched the Senior Bowl quite a bit, and I didn't really see anything to fall in love with, you know. But what you saw at Duke was a guy who – Again, playing in an overmatched team much of the time did pretty well with a quarterback coach who, or a coach who was the quarterback coach for Eli Manning when he was in college and for mm. Peyton Manning when he was in college. So I think that that was probably part of the impetus for, for drafting him. And the question I don't think is whether he can be a good NFL quarterback. The question is whether he's ready to step in in this Giants team. And so it's a risk. But again, the only thing you're risking against is losing. Um, and oddly enough, though, going down to Tampa Bay, you would think the Giants have somewhat of a shot down there yeah, to pick sure. up their first win. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to uh, obviously do the mailbag at the end of the show, the bumper. I'm going to dive in every now and then when the, a relevant question rocks up. And this is a good one from Rakesh. I appreciate uh, the tweet, Rakesh, at the NC show if, uh, if you want to follow suit. Is this the end for Eli? So we've been concentrating all on Daniel Jones. Can Eli bounce into another gig, Jacksonville possibly, and reunite with his old uh, coach who is now obviously running – uh, the show that uh, Tom Coughlin. It's very interesting uh, because there's been a number of trade rumors about Eli, you know, teams that are losing their quarterbacks. Pittsburgh was another one yeah. uh, that people were suggesting might be interested in him. And the point being, I think if you put him in a better situation with, with a better line and more weapons, you might see a better Eli. And certainly on a, in a short passing kind of game, uh, that would not be, 
unreasonable to expect. Now, I'm not sure Jacksonville is that situation. Mm. Um, you know, we saw Minshew running around for his life at times um, last week. And uh, Pittsburgh, though, could well be, although I think they have to give Mason Rudolph his chance in Pittsburgh uh, to make that work. And, of course, you know, benching Eli now sets off – the what the world's second biggest internet controversy for the next week or so is you know whether Eli is elite whether he belongs in the Hall of Fame or not <laughs> sure. and that one has been running for what ten years and and it will continue to run uh, certainly for at least five years beyond his uh, retirement. You and I have definitely gone backwards and forwards on that multiple times over over the years. Uh, where have you revised your opinion on that? Because you're not convinced he is a Hall of Fame, right? No, I, I'm not, and and never was. When you compare him with the two guys who came into the league at the same time, which was Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers, um, he's well behind those two in terms of passing efficiency. Now, in fairness, he's the only one whose efficiency goes up in the playoffs, although he's still behind the other two. Um, in playoffs, he has two Super Bowl rings, which is his biggest selling point. It counts, particularly for the Hall, it counts for a hell of a lot. It does it? indeed. Um, but it's never counted for Jim Plunkett. And I think there's a mm-hmm. pretty good comparison between Eli and Jim Plunkett, uh, particularly in the way they won Super Bowls. They, they were both guys who were not afraid to take risks downfield. And that's been Eli's biggest characteristic as a quarterback. I think it's a very short memory. Uh, he can throw two bad passes. He can take a horrible sack and he'll still get up and, and, you know, go for all the marks on the next play with no no fear whatsoever. And I think that's probably his strongest characteristic as a quarterback. But I right now, I would say I only see Ben as a Hall of Famer from that group. And um, I think that's because he's got two rings as well, one of which certainly he wasn't responsible for. Right. But he, he's also got a more efficient career and that and the same kind of uh fearless risk taking big play um potential that that Eli has. I think I think Rivers is actually the harder debate than than Ben or um Eli. Yeah, I I agree. I wonder how much the New York uh, element plays into that as well Quite as a the bit. profile. Yeah, he's got uh, a help his cause. Incidentally, I might you got me uh you got me uh curious now if that's the second uh, biggest conspiracy theory that's going to be the rounds <laughs> this week. What's the biggest? Um, I, I'm not going to say. It, it would just get me in trouble. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, the uh, injury situation in Pittsburgh, of course, Roethlisberger out for the season. Uh, Drew Brees uh, traveling back to uh, Los Angeles to have hand surgery. NFL.com is reporting. It's a torn ligament, of course, on his throwing hand as well. Uh, so they're estimating six to eight weeks, the majority of the of the regular season, Mike. Yeah, um, thumb ligament for for Drew Brees on on his throwing hand. So that's that's a tough one uh, because the rehab for that takes a long time. Um, in that you just every time you move it, you move your thumb, it sets your rehab back. Right. So so it's 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 a hard it's a hard one to to overcome. Interesting situation there with the um with with the backups because Teddy Bridgewater um didn't look didn't look particularly great, but I think what they need to do is adjust their offense a bit for Teddy Bridgewater, mm. um, who's who's more of a, a sort of drop-back passer and is also a different guy from the one who um, came out of college and went to Minnesota where 
um, and Mike Tanier was very good on this uh, the other day, you know, went to Mike Zimmer where you're basically asked to hand off <laughs> and keep your mouth shut um, <laughs> and then bail the team out when the hand, when the handoffs don't work. Um, <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised to see Taysom Hill play more snaps at quarterback. Mm. Uh, they, they used him for almost the whole game in the preseason and he put up some pretty good numbers. Um, and they would again have to adjust the offense a little bit for for his skill set, but that's that's probably a dilemma they have to work their way through in the next couple of weeks, which is tough because um, they go to Seattle and then have Dallas come in in the next two weeks, which are yeah. not not easy tasks for them. Stern test. Teddy's a safe bet, as I guess you're alluding to. Mike, we have Mike Tannenbaum on the show on Monday, and it's something that I asked him. I'm really keen to get your perspective on this. So when you take a team that is a contender so let's eliminate mm, on the bubble marginal sides and and certainly teams that are uh, as the dolphins are i'm going to get into them in a minute rebuilding but teams that are quite serious playoff contenders why aren't those teams investing a significant amount of money in a good backup if you take or at least a tested backup if you look at the situation in green bay for example who are uh, amongst the top seeds you think in in the nfc but they've got a very very thin go-to guy if uh, aaron Rodgers goes down is it down to just the lack of decent backup talent out there or is there more to it i get i get the salary cap challenges there but i'm surprised that irrespective of that teams that have a serious chance at a deep playoff run don't invest more in a good backup well yeah i mean i think you hit the nail on the head or maybe mike tannenbaum did the first thing is there aren't that many good quarterbacks around um Mm. certainly not you know not proven ones and you used to have a, a sort of subset of guys who were competent backups and could hang around for a long time and you still have a few of those guys um and they get picked up we talked about that when brian hoyer was released by the yep. patriots and then signed um you know the kind of guy who will not lose a game for you if you put him in but might not necessarily win a game you know coming back from 30 points or 20 points down mm. um this, you can't afford to keep a it's tough to keep a second quarterback because you can't afford to pay him what if he's a star a a quality starter or potentially a quality starter, a team is going to want him as a starter and will pay him starters money. But again, the Patriots had this problem with Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, they reached the point where they would have to pay him like, a, you know, almost like a starter, but he knew he yeah. could make more money as a starter and wanted to start because that's, that's what the game's all about. But I think it's also a question of not being able to coach guys. Um, you know, if, if, if I were an NFL team, I would always draft a quarterback you know, every year, uh, and try to coach him up, uh, put, you know, even if it's on the practice squad, but, but really, really work hard at, at coaching him up. And, um, well, again, I keep going back to Patriots, but that's what they seem to do, you know, and this year they took Stidham in the fourth round mm-hmm. and he's now the backup. They've, they've got enough faith in him, uh, to, to make him the backup. Although I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't, they wouldn't, uh, want to have to rush him in in the middle of a, of a playoff fight, but, you know, Teams used to do this a lot, and Green Bay did it uh, for years under yeah, sure. Ron Wolf and Holmgren, and guys like Aaron Brooks and um, Doug Peterson was there. Uh, but they often developed guys and then traded them. Uh, Matt Hasselbeck, when they sent him to Seattle, um, you know, and got got a pretty good return, even though they had never played. It was worth the draft pick to bring these guys along as quality players. And there's always one or two guys out there who, if you can, you know if you can get the fit to your system correct mm. um, are worth that kind of risk in the fourth round or the fifth round. And it's mm. also why a number of smart teams now 
tend to accumulate or try to accumulate picks in the in the late rounds of the draft. And when we talk about Miami, that's one of the things that happened um, in their trades was, you know, they was picks in the fourth and sixth and seventh round that get ignored when the draft is reported, then turn into chips that they try to turn into a usable pick. So, you know, you can trade two sixths for a fifth, say, um, and use that fifth rounder on somebody you think you can develop. Okay, well, uh, speaking of uh, stockpiling picks and using uh, picks and, and depth in the draft as well, that's a nice uh, segue into <laughs> I the I am the some... sultan of the segues. You are, Mike. I've said that uh, time and again. The uh, the Miami Dolphins, uh, talk to me, Mike. Help me out here because I get the I get the rebuilding challenge that a number of teams are in when they know they're going to stink. They know that the only way around this is to put a long-term plan in place that says to their fans and to media and everybody watching on, look, we're going to be rubbish for a little while, but trust us, we're going to um, asset strip. And in the end, uh, we'll use the uh, the amount we get to build a build a build. You look at the Houston Astros, for example, in, in Major League Baseball, that's exactly what they did over, you know, uh, mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. Right. And that's what the Dolphins are saying they're doing. What I don't understand about it. And the latest news, of course, Minka Fitzpatrick being dealt to the Steelers. He was a player. I remember vividly when he was coming out, of the draft, you were telling me this guy is the real deal. And he lived up to that. He's a versatile player. He's clearly a leader on the field. Uh, and crucially, he is young. He's in his second season, right? Uh, and he's only, and he's only 23. So it, I get players at their peak players, maybe even slightly over the hill, but you're selling up uh, and, and getting a good value for them because they're probably going to move into decline pretty rapidly. Sure. Cash in on those players. I don't get dealing Laramie Tunsil, a young player. Minkovitz, Patrick particularly, a young player. What are the Dolphins up to, Mike? Well, they are they are trying to reset their roster in terms of guys that they, they like and guys who want to be there in the era. Now, I don't know if you can say in Brian we trust mm-hmm. uh, or, or in Chris Greer we trust at this point. Uh, but it, they're all expatriates one way or the other yes. in their front office, their coaching staff. And, so Greer is uh, obviously the GM at Miami, and, and yeah, his father, what, his in. father was the director of, well, the the G, the GM in effect um, before Bill Belichick, and for I think one year, two years after Belichick. Um, oh, interesting. And uh, well, a specialist, Bobby Greer, a specialist in um, oh, Bobby Greer, of course. Defense, so it's in, it's in the blood. Back. Um, so yeah, it's in, and, and Chris Greer was worked there for a little while before he went to Miami, and and he's worked his way up. Um, but I, I think there's a couple of things going on here. Tunsil is the interesting one because they didn't have anybody to step in and replace him, even though they got Julian Davenport in the trade. You know, and I said I said a couple of weeks ago I thought they they thought Dave DiGuglielmo would be able to sort of coach up that offensive line this, the way Dante Scarnecchia coaches up the Patriots' offensive line. And you know, the Patriots won last week with um, Corey Cunningham and um, Marshall Newhouse, who they picked up off the street in the past couple of weeks um, as their tackles. With um, and they got a pretty, they got a pretty good haul in that. I don't think Kenny Stills was a, was some a loss they thought they needed. They didn't need to worry about. Mm. I think they felt he was replaceable. Yeah, um, which you can you can see. I mean, he's a dependable guy, but you can get. Yeah, that. He, he's the exactly the kind of player you can understand they're going to deal team. Yeah, has they that you know they signed Alan Hearns after the cutdowns, and, and right. maybe Alan Hearns doesn't have anything left, but maybe he does. And mm. um, 
but Minka's the interesting one because, like you say, I, I thought he was a steal in the draft yeah. um, when when they got him. He's a versatile defender, and I thought that as a safety who had cornerback skills, he was a perfect fit for what Brian Flores would want to do. He's Devin McCourty, basically, but probably you know a more um, impressive player coming out of college than than McCourty was. Now, the reason I think he was gone is Bobby McCain, who was a cornerback, but they've been playing him at safety. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they're deep at safety. And Minka True. appears to want to play safety, not nickel corner, which is odd because Pittsburgh, when they traded for him, immediately started talking about him as a nickel corner. Yeah. Um, and that, But that seems to be the root of his discontent. There's a Miami. difference as well, though, I guess, it, Mike, if you're playing uh, nickel corner in a team like the Steelers, who, you know, the Roethlisberger injury aside, are, are, are serious contenders and, and yeah, playing and, it at and, Miami when you're getting tanked. What's the point differential? 102-10, I think, in their first two games. Yeah, but the thing with, with – and, you know, and teams like Brian Flores will use a lot of three safety alignments where one safety, in effect, becomes a nickel corner. Right has to cover. And so I don't I don't understand what the problem was in terms of Minka not being satisfied with how he was being used, unless he simply wasn't playing up to their standards. And they have Rashad Jones, you know, they, they have Walt Aikens in there. They have McCain moving back. Um Tankersley was on IR, but when he comes back, you know, he's a, he's potentially a decent cornerback. So I I just think they thought with Howard and, you know, Eric Rowe, I'm not sure about still. I never was when he was with New England, but, but he, Ken Webster, they picked up from New England, Parker from the Rams. You know, they're, they're, they've got potential there. When you look across their roster, though, it's all guys that they have picked up on the cheap from other teams, guys who were cut by other teams where they see potential. So they are building a team based on potential. And hoping mm. that those parts were, will gel. Mm. And the problem being right now is, as we saw in the first two weeks, Ryan Fitzpatrick's running for his life and throw, and Josh Rosen's running. Josh yeah. Rosen's going to wind up being the guy we were talking about, um, in the Douglas, in the, um, David Jones, Daniel Jones yeah, um, sure. conversation. You know, the guy who, after one year in Arizona, spending the most of the time on his back looking up at the sky is going to get the same thing happening to him in Miami. And by the yeah. time he gets to play on a team with a decent offensive line and, and receivers, he's going to be so shell shocked that, that he's, um, that he's ineffective. So, you know, but that's what I think Miami's doing. They're willing, which they're is Patriots esque, of course, isn't it? You know, but it works well in a, in a well oiled machine like the Patriots organization. Like yeah. The Patriots. And Bill, when Bill took over as coach in the Patriots, he did have a losing season, right? But he, he took over a better team, you know, mm. a, a team that had gone, had a winning record. He's also Bill Belichick. He knew what he wanted. Um, he knew, you know, he had a better grasp, maybe of be- veteran players than, than, um, than this group does at the moment. And I, just wonder too about whether or not and I think I may have said this on the show last week or the week before whether Brian Flores who's a young coach and was not a defensive coordinator although de facto he was but he was the play caller in New England last year is taking on a bit too much by being head coach and his own defensive coordinator yeah it's a good point um, without having a sort of veteran presence there to to draw on uh, and whether when they make these kind of moves it, it does reverberate through the locker room it can be often exaggerated remember when the patriots um got rid of Loya Malloy and you had the guys you know Tom Jackson on ESPN he's lost the locker room you know they'll never play <laughs> sure. for him again and they'll yeah. never have a winning record, you know. Yeah. Well, that didn't turn out to be correct because if you know what you're doing and your players know you know what you're doing, um, you can do stuff like that. 
um, I did think it was kind of trolling the NFL when they signed Tank Carradine, uh, <laughs> you know, who they had cut earlier in the year and then and then re-signed him. But as everyone's accusing them of tanking, when you sign a player called Tank, I think that's worth a laugh or two. It's a, it is. And incidentally, uh, on that note, I'm pretty sure that I threw Miami fish tanking out there a long way before anyone else, right? <laughs> that's but a I'm good one. I, I mean, yeah, that, that is a good one. Uh, I've learned well from you. I, I, think, I think you should have trademarked it. I should have done, but it should have got in. I'm sure there is some kind of, uh, some kind of broadcasting record that I got in there early doors on that. And I, I like the fact that you are referred to, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick as a steal in the draft when he's now a stealer as well. So that was particularly Ooh, that's a good, sweet. That's a good one. Yeah. Now the question with Pittsburgh is, and, and they gave up a lot in this, in this, um, in this deal is do they need a draft pick for a quarterback? And yeah, that's a really good point because Rottersberg has been talking up the retirement game for a couple of years, hasn't he? So, now, yeah, but he said now in his statement he was going to come back. And, and this right. to me is like a pitcher's injury. Um, his elbow. It's like when a pitcher, you know, strains the elbow tendons and, 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 uh, well, pitcher's elbow and, uh, needs the surgery and comes back stronger as a result. So that's, mm-hmm. that's quite possible. And, um, and they did, they did basically exchange a fifth for a fourth in that trade next year. And fourth uh-huh. round is, is sort of like backup quarterback territory, as I was saying right. earlier on. Sweet spot. But I think it says that they're probably going to stay with Mason Rudolph. Um, if not, they'll, they'll go another year. I, I can't see them trading for Eli Manning. Mm. Um, they seem well, quite big on Rudolph and the, and the locker room as well. And it, it was interesting. Quite a few of the players. DeCastro was one of them. He's obviously a, a seasoned Wiley old vet was, you know, very, very, yeah, um, vocal in support of Rudolph right after the game. And again, I think they have to adjust their offense a little bit um, because with Ben, it's he can stay in the pocket for a long time and then move out of the pocket and make plays happen downfield. Now, I think they need to go to a little bit more of of quick set um, plays where where you're scheming your receivers open more quickly rather than relying them on winning one on one battles. Um, mm. Which, when you have Juju Smith-Schuster and and Antonio Brown, you know, is easy to rely on. Uh, it's kind of like the Packers under Mike McCarthy, as opposed to the pa- Packers uh, now. You know, where they're, where they're trying to use those kind of schemes to to give more reads to Aaron Rodgers rather than just letting him hang around and then wait for a guy to come open. Mike, quick one on on this or associated point, and then I want to get onto the Jalen Ramsey situation. Um, you mentioned earlier on with Flores, uh, a, a new head coach retaining his defensive coordinator duties. And obviously every head coach, unless you'll tell me there's an exception, uh, which there probably is, but typically a head coach obviously has progressed from either an offensive, uh, defensive coordinator, special teams position to the, to the head job. And for our, the benefit of our newer listeners out there that are new to the NFL this season, getting their head around it all, talk through how it works when a team has a head coach that also takes control of one of uh, those areas, but still has on paper anyway, an offensive or defensive coordinator alongside them. What does the, what is the role of the latter if the head coach is still calling all the shots? It varies team to team because you don't know what goes on in meetings and you don't know who actually is in charge of the game planning unless it's the Patriots. The short answer to that is that when you, when you get a new head coach, especially when he's a young one, and they keep or bring in an experienced coordinator on one side of the ball or the other. The assumption is always that that coach is going to leave that side of the ball to the uh, coordinator. Uh, think about Sean McVay, say, and Wade Phillips coming in as defensive coordinator for the Rams. So, Wade, that's your business. 
you know, and, and therefore the, the coach can concentrate on either being a head coach or in McVay's case, being the offensive coordinator as well yeah. and, and game planning. But, but, you know, the, the head coach is in some instances a head cheerleader in some instances more like the head of the CIA in terms of like looking, <laughs> looking at, looking at tape and, you know, and, and making, uh, making impenetrable statements about what you are or aren't going to do. In an um, alternate life, an alternate reality, were you more likely to be a head cheerleader or a head of the CIA bike? Oh God, I would have been, a, <laughs> I would have been the head of a CIA type coach. Uh, it's funny. I was looking at some Bill Belichick uh, tapes uh, to about, cause I knew he had a funny story about Zeus, um, Orlando Brown, who I'm going to mention later on in the IR thing. Um, and he's talking to his son at, right at the beginning of this clip. And he says, you know, we've all played for coaches who are jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, I played for the same jerk that you did, Bill. <laughs> did we play together. Um, Mike, let's and talk Jalen um, Jalen Ramsey. He might have something to say about Doug Marone on that uh, on that tip, based on what we saw on Sunday. Extraordinary stuff there, of course. The two uh, going at it. Uh, Marone showing no restraint at all for a, for a head coach, and, and Ramsey, who of course is one of the the playmakers on this Jaguars team uh gave it right back at him and then sure enough 24 hours later uh Jalen Ramsey wants out of Jacksonville what do you make of this uh, I think I think as I and I said earlier I'm not I'm I have never been convinced by the Coughlin Marone um regime in Jacksonville and I I think they've they've made sort of um knee-jerk decisions and reactions along the way they've misjudged a number of things along the way um and they they were lucky in retrospect that that young defense played as well as it did i mean not it, they played extremely well but they had a lot of luck in terms of turnovers mm-hmm. and and defensive point scoring when it looked like they were the great up and coming young team but then when that didn't happen they're still a good defense but when when it doesn't happen that that the defense is producing to cover up for your offense they didn't really have they don't really have a solution there so the week before you saw miles jack Going all WWF yeah, on, yeah. on on, on uh, the officials. Now you've got Jalen Ramsey going WWF on on Marone. I mean, if we could if we could patch things up, those two guys would be a great tag team with Marone as their manager. And, and remember <laughs> when, when 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 Marone, the yeah, exactly. Because yeah, Ramsey's like, quite a baby face, so I don't know. Um, no, I don't think so. You watch him play. And he's, <laughs> he's hardly a baby face. Maybe they'd um, be that, that kind of new meta era of they're meant to be heels, but everybody loves them. Yeah. I mean, I would make, I would make him like a whining heel, you know, who complains, uh, you know, cheats constantly and complains when, that other people are cheating with him. <laughs> but you remember when Doug Marone played for the Monarchs, the offensive line on that team that won the World Bowl, we'll call it the Nasty Boys. Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, after the wrestling, the wrestling tag team. So Doug yeah, yeah. would be a great, a great fit for, for that. Um, it's crazy, Mike, that, that, you know, we mentioned Coughlin earlier on, who was the, the poster boy of being an authoritarian coach. I mean, you know, we've spoken to, uh, to OC and J Bell about the, sure. the, some of the stories playing under him and just how regimented and officious he was. So it is quite, uh, interesting that the Jags seem really undisciplined. I know he's not the head coach, but yeah, he's, he's not in the position the to, he's not in the position to do that. And, and I, I just don't Doesn't think. Doesn't start with him in many respects though? Well, you? yes and no. It starts operation. with him because of his influence on Marone, basically. Mm. But I think Doug's the guy who's the point man for all of this. And, um, for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to sell that brand of deal or put it this way. Once a team starts to go downhill as they did last year um, in the last 
what was it, 11 games, three and eight in the last yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. When a team starts to go downhill, these, these cracks start to appear. Mm-hmm. When you're winning, those cracks, you know, they may still be there. The feelings may still be there, but you keep them bottled up because you're winning and everybody is, is theoretically happy. Um, you know, I, I, my own, we, I had an undefeated season where there were some players I, I literally did not like and, and a couple who were actively undermining me personally in terms of relationship with the coach. That didn't matter. We were all winning. Uh, two years later when we were losing and had a Doug Marone type head coach who just started off, it became a big thing. And, you know, that's not essential to win, but it sure helps when your team is all on the same boat. I mean, Jamal Adams now, they're saying, you know, has taken the Jets off his Instagram feed, Insta face, mm. Snap face, whatever Inst- it is. Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, drop. That was very Belichick in your view. Yeah, I, thank you. And again, I think Adam Gaze doesn't have that authority, hasn't built that authority to be able to get, get players convinced to stick with things that don't automatically appear to be working. And, it's a tough gig early doors, isn't yeah, it? Certainly, you know, certainly, um, he's not responsible for Sam Darnold's mono, mm. but, uh, I think, I think what you saw, uh, from, tri- from the passing primate, Trevor Simeon, um, <laughs> and, and then from Drew Locke was, was the kind of, uh, from Luke restrictions. Falk. Luke Fox, sorry. <laughs> Maybe Drew Locke was in there as well, the way he was going for the Jets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough to keep these guys, but Falk, Falk <laughs> yeah. knows the system. He, he was in Miami, you know, when, when Gaze was there. Right. Um, and Gaze's system, as I keep saying, is, is basically one that, that, keeps the quarterbacks throwing safe passes. Um, and it's given him this reputation as a quarterback whisperer, which is completely undeserved. And, and you know, I, I think right now the Jets are in a heap of trouble, although, mm. you know, they're going to New England, so that's not going to help. But although I think Falk may well be a better, you know, a better fit than people think to get them through a couple of weeks till Darnold comes back. And, of course, with Mono, you just never know when he's going to come back. Let's go to the mailbag because there are some questions about the Jets, unsurprisingly, Mike. And then we'll get into our Mike's top five. Uh, how about we start? Speaking of uh, the backups that have come in, there's a good one here in terms of uh, who the question is, which uh, projected new starting quarterback will fare best, asked Tim Monk. Uh, Jones, Rudolph, Falk or Teddy B? Well, you see, that's a tough one because you define success in those situations. Yeah, define success. Your best bet is Mason Rudolph because Pittsburgh theoretically is a better offense. Um, and they have a D, a good offensive line. Well, the Saints um, is the best offense out of those four, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, who will be the better quarterback long term? Um, mm. I think this situation, who's going to, who's going to perform? I mean, yeah, folks. I think it's, I think it's easier. It's easier to project Rudolph coming up with decent performances within that, with, with that team, if they can adjust the system to him, Teddy Bridgewater, I've got a lot of faith in, but I'm not sure how the, the saints adjust to him. Jones, I think is a good prospect, but you know, he's in a, he's in a world of hurt right now. Mm. Um, who was it? Um, it was Kendall Beecham at the jets who said, um, who said that the Jets are now a world of suck? No, world of suck is a great. <laughs> the world of suck. We've entered the world of suck. I might start a band called World of Suck, Mike. That's that is, that is. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> um, okay, here's one from uh, David Richards. Thanks for this, uh, David, at the NC Show. Incidentally, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, get in touch with us on any of those platforms. Uh, this is on Twitter. And he asks, should the Patriots have played Antonio Brown? With the impending NFL investigation, of course, Brown played on Sunday, scored a touchdown as well. Didn't sit right with everybody, did it, Mike? 
No, but I think if you're going to sign him, you need to play him. I've always been opposed to having the NFL being a, a court of second re- resort or having a parallel justice system to the justice system that exists. Mm. Um, as many people have pointed out, suspending Brown now would basically take away his livelihood for at least a year because this is a civil case, um, which is going to take a long time to play out in the courts. It's not a criminal, it's not a criminal case. The NFL obviously has the right to do this based on the commissioner having the right to do pretty much what he wants to protect, um, the integrity or the, the image is a better word for the game. And the NFL mm-hmm. tends to react to what hurts its image the most. Um, so, you know, if they do that, fine. But if I'm, if I were the Patriots, um, it's not in self-interest. In completely in self-interest. I would, um, you know, play it, play Antonio Brown, see how the situation works out and accept mm. whatever, whatever happens. Um, it's, if I'm, you know, if I'm opposed to the NFL being a, a parallel system of justice, I certainly would be very opposed to Robert Kraft and the Patriots being a third mm. parallel uh, system of justice. Here's one from Will Thomas. A final one, Mike, and then we'll get into your top five. Uh, why do you think Jay Ajayi hasn't been picked up? And do you think he will be curious situation there, isn't he? One of the uh, more talented running backs in the NFL. Of course, we're rooting for him as uh, one of the British stars uh, over stateside, but uh, still a free agent right now. Yeah, I think you, I think it's completely down to injury. I, I just think a team feels that if they sign JHI, they're not going to have him play for more than a few games, and then he's going to he's going to reaggravate one of one of his uh, long his long term injuries. Um, he's got. He's got a running style that, um, you know, sort of, um, invites injury to the shoulder, which Mm. has been, which has been a problem. He's had injuries to the leg. I I think if he could prove he were completely healthy and, and a team, a team might then want to take a risk on it. Um, but right now I, I just, I think that's what it's down to. I don't think there's any other problem with JHI. That's pretty tricky though, isn't it? To prove you're that healthy and durable. You're given a shot, right? So it is. It is. Um, but you know, you, Given given his track record and given what he's been rehabbing off of now, um, I don't know how you prove that you're you're back to 100 percent and and probably stronger than you were before. But um, I think that's what he would have to do. Okie dokie, good stuff. Uh, thanks for those questions uh, at the NC show. Fire him in, and we'll uh, do some more next week on the Wednesday show with Iron Mike. Uh, let's wrap things up with your top five, Iron Mike. So as he had suggested at the top of the show, uh, Iron Mike's top five injuries. <laughs> Yeah, and this was a this was prompted by Sam Darnold and Mono, and mm. and um, I think Ollie Ollie the producer, you know, said, uh, you know, is that the weirdest injury of all time? And I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> I couldn't call it weird because uh, Mono's not weird. It's a, but um, Chris Long, uh, who one of my uh, relatives met at a at a wedding and and took infinite number of picture pictures with him and said he's one of the nicest guys he's ever met. And um anyway, he said he had mono in his college freshman year. Mm. Um he woke up and his uv- uvula was the size of a thumb. So you know guys, those uv- uvulas are really Ouch. tough. Um, <laughs> so he said he couldn't breathe. It was like getting crushed. And then he said he was also getting crushed on the message boards, which right. were the, the two thousand four equivalent of Twitter. Um he lost <laughs> twenty pounds and to top it off Quote, you can't party. <laughs> well, so, the so most is, important aspect yeah, of it. It is a tough injury for yeah. sin, syndrome Sam, who's now yeah. like symptom Sam. But I, I didn't quote, I didn't, I didn't go into weird injuries 
that didn't result in players being on IR or okay. missing games. Um, you know, and there's a, we all know a lot of those, um, you know, most famously Brandon Marshall slipping on the McDonald's pack and putting his arm through a television set. So <laughs> here, here was the top five. Yep. In number five, or number six, actually, was Turk Edwards. Who, Wait a minute, number six? What, what, yeah, well, so I, I, top five is in top six. Yeah, I'll, okay, I'll, that's I'll, I'll roll you. through them. But <laughs> Turk Edwards was the captain of the Washington Redskins in 1940. And after the coin toss against the Giants, he spun around to run back to the bench. His cleats caught. He tore ligaments in his legs and never played again. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the sort of thing I would definitely do. Okay. Yeah. Um, Turk, in in number six is Geno Smith. No, number 20, five now. So you've done yeah, six. number five. <laughs> okay. okay. In number five is Geno Smith, August 2015. I.K. Enemkapali uh, of the Jets punched him in the face and fractured his jaw. Uh, he missed the first two yes, games of, of the season. He lost his job to Ryan Fitzpatrick. When he came back, Fitzpatrick basically played him out of his starting job. Um, and uh, he, I.K. then got claimed on waivers um, by Rex Ryan, who had been the Jets coach the year before and was now up in Buffalo because he needed toughness. And sure enough, um, he got in another fight the next year with a Bills player, Kuandijo, um, who then the next day tore his ACL and was finished for his career. In we'll number team four, him up with the, uh, the Jalen Ramsey uh Miles oh, yeah. Jack crew, I think. Yeah, could, IK, could, uh, IK could come out of retirement. We yeah. signed with Jacksonville yeah, and fit yeah. right in. <laughs> yeah. uh, in number four is Plexico, our old buddy Plexico, uh, who yeah, sure. the year after we interviewed him and had a great time with him in, in New Orleans, yeah. uh, walked into a nightclub in New York and uh, had a gun in the pocket of his sweatpants. And, uh, he shot, shot himself, himself, didn't he? Yeah, shot, shot himself, himself in the, in the thigh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Have you ever done that, Mike, in the history of you – know, I know. I, if I pull my gun, someone's going to die. Oh, um, I really hope that's not a euphemism, Mike. And um, basically, uh, Plexico not only went on IR but served uh, a jail term uh, for yes. Weapon in New York City, uh, so that was a pretty serious one. In number three is a tie between two guys: Bill Gramatica of Tampa Bay and Lamar Houston of Chicago. Gramatica tore his ACL celebrating a field goal that he kicked in two thousand one, <laughs> his rookie year against the Cardinals, and was basically never the same. But Lamar has kind of the edge. He was playing for the Bears. They were down forty eight to twenty three to the Patriots uh, in twenty fourteen. He sacked Jimmy Garoppolo. And then celebrated, jumped up and did a sack dance and tore his ACL oh, and was boy. put on IR. When you're down by 25 points, <laughs> celebrate a sack. You deserve everything that you get. Fair point. In, in number two, and this mm. is the one I referred to before, Zeus, Orlando Brown, 1997, 1999 in Cleveland um, against Jacksonville. Jeff Triplett threw a flag and hit Orlando Brown in the eye through his helmet, into his eye. He didn't play again till 2003. He sued the NFL and collected millions of dollars, but he was never really the same after that. He died yeah. He died young. And mm. if you remember Zeus, his son now is playing in the NFL, Orlando Jr. Mm. But Zeus was like 6'7", probably he was listed at 360, but probably a lot higher. Belichick told a story about when Zeus was in his first rookie camp, mini camp after the draft, they had a guy holding the bags and the players are blocking the bags. And Zeus hit the bag so hard that this guy, who was a good-sized uh, a good-sized guy, got sent 12 yards backward and broke his collarbone. <laughs> this, <laughs> was his, this is like his first day in rookie minicamp. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So they yes, thought, but the all-time winner in this one mm. is the former Barcelona Dragon, Chris Hansen. 
This is a of, deep dive. Of Jacksonville. Oh, and now Hansen and his kicker, Jared Holmes, both got burned uh, in 2002 when the fondue pot that they were using at a dinner party with, with Hansen's wife overturned. And they were both severely burned. But that was in the offseason, so they didn't miss any time. But in 2000, Jack Del Rio was coaching Jacksonville, right? Oh, uh, the great Jack Del Rio. Yeah, and Del Rio thought the team needed to be tougher. Um, <laughs> of course. You know, and they needed they needed to concentrate more. So he put this stump of wood in the locker room with an axe in the stump of wood <laughs> and said that they had to keep chopping wood. They were 0-3 at the time, right? So Chris Hansen, being <laughs> a punter, <laughs> basically, picks up the a axe. A lot to prove. Picks up the axe, smashes it into the thing, and basically slices his leg open <laughs> and misses the entire the entire season. Oh, Goes on boy. IR for a season. Now he wasn't even the weirdest puncher that the Barcelona Dragons ever had because that <laughs> belongs to Jeff Beckley, who was a golf pro mm. um, in the off season with no intention of playing in the NFL and used to simply play golf all day in Barcelona, show up for practice and punt and then go play golf. <laughs> um, he, and he was great. Jeff was just a hell of a lot of fun when you were down there. Interviewing. But absolutely the weirdest IR of all time belongs to Chris Hansen of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Genius. I, yeah. Genius stuff. I and Mike, I'm loving your top fives. Uh, brilliant stuff. And we will, uh, we will, Deep dive. Actually, what do we should throw it out on social media? We'll uh, maybe yeah, yeah. take ask requests for, for your ask top for five. suggestions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, love it. Cracking work. Always the punter, isn't it? You gotta love them. Uh, and we got some punching news in as well for old school Americanish fans listening. There you go. It was good to there stick go. a bit yes. of that. Uh, great stuff, Mike. Uh, irresistible targets, of course, your blog and also, and more importantly, patreon.com. So uh, give that a little plug on what you're writing and working on this week. Yeah, uh, well, it'll be the preview for uh, week three's games. The first one goes up on Thursday for the Thursday night game, and then the rest of the Friday morning tight end column goes up on Friday. Uh, there'll be a little bit of discussion, some of which we've just had, um, about uh, various moves within the league and, and what's going on. Um, I, I tend to tweet a couple of the highlights from it out there every week, but it's patreon.com uh, forward slash Mike Carlson, F-M-T-E. And, uh, you know, it's worth it. Um, so far, I'm on a roll picking the games, but as soon as I say that, it usually goes away. Yeah, so just don't say it and you'll be fine. Uh, I can attest to it is well worth the, well worth the read and indeed well worth the follow. I'm Mike on Twitter at Carlson Sports is how you do that. Great work, big band. We'll see you next week. Oh, fantastic. See you guys. Cracky stuff from Iron Mike. He is here each and every Wednesday throughout the season. Of course, we're back Friday. Phoebe Schechter in the house. For those of you who don't know Phoebe, I'm sure uh, many of you do, but for those that don't, she's been at the Buffalo Bills uh, over the last 12 months on the coaching staff. She is an inspirational character and a great, great guest to have on the show. So really looking forward to catching up with Phoebe. Uh, amongst other things, of course, we'll be previewing all the week three action. So lots to be getting our teeth into then. And of course, our daily fantasy special dropping with me and Ollie Gill Saturday mornings. And make sure you head over as well to ESPN UK for extra video content. We'll push that out on our social media channels as well four episodes a week gang so subscribe if you haven't already and we'll see you friday enjoy bye for now sports social podcast network